0: again to the perimeter church podcast one of the key tenets of protestantism is the priesthood of all believers we do not require an ordained person to stand between us and christ but with that privilege comes responsibility lead teacher randy pope continues the series the church with the second part of this message entitled a priesthood which covers 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Father, we do now,
1: we do now think, ring the bells. It's it's time to celebrate. Emmanuel, you with us, you've come. Uh, Not much better story than that. We thank you for that story, and we pray that that story may impact us now, even as we look at what that means for us as your followers, for those who are seekers. I pray, use this time, may truth be clear, and may it free us to be the very ones to honor you in a better way. Grant that, we ask, in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. We're in week six of seven weeks in a series on the church, and this particular series is looking over uh, numerous aspects of the church, particularly its authority and its nature. I want to give you a quick overview for you that are new, so you understand where we are in this series. Uh, just a little reminder to those who have been here: the authority of the church. I spent three weeks out of the Gospels talking about the authority that God has put on this earth. The church being that authority. We have the we have the government as an authority, we have a family as an authority, we have the church as authority. Many don't understand that. So three weeks of developing that. Then we turn our attention, number two, to the nature of the church, and we're in 1 Peter for these four final weeks. We began with Caleb, teaching each of three analogies we take. The first one is the analogy of the members of the same family, and the first chapter into the second chapter... Uh, Caleb did a great job teaching that. And then last week, I began the first of two parts I'll finish today, which is stones of the same building, a second analogy, chapter 2, 4 through 9. And then after our holiday break, we'll come back and we'll cover citizens of the same country, verses 9 and 10. Our text today will overlap in chapter 9. It'll kind of carry us into the next subject matter, but uh, you'll see why I've put it a second time As I read the text, I want you to follow as I read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. It reads like this. And coming to him as to a living stone, him being Christ, hear this, he's the living stone, which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, talking about Christians, As living stones, so he's going to call us living stones. He's a living stone, we're living stones. Are built up as a spiritual house. There's the analogy that he's using as a spiritual house. By the way, Paul in the book of Ephesians uses the same analogy, calls it a spiritual house, refers to it as a temple. Very interesting. Same analogy. For a holy priesthood, which is what we're talking about this week, to offer up Spiritual sacrifices, note the word sacrifice that's used there, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Now when we come to verse nine, we're gonna see a shift from who we are now to what we do. We've already talked a little bit about it, and we're gonna introduce it today. We offer up spiritual sacrifices, but next in the series, the final week, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We're talking about that today, but note why a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. Now, last week I tried to summarize the teaching of last week and this week just to kind of put it in perspective in one statement. Here's the statement. I'll show it again. The residents of this royal community are considered stones which comprise a spiritual house designed for priests and priestesses to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. Now, point one of two points we looked at last week, every Christian is a priest or priestess. So last week I used the analogy of a secular storm. We are living amidst that secular storm. It's already uh, hitting our shores in a, a very destructive way. Uh, it's leaving an abused society. It's leaving our citizens battered with, with uh, fear and anxiety and, and insecurity. I think we know what we're talking about. It's just the world in which we live today. We're in a search for unconditional love and support. Uh, we're in a search for guidance. In doing so, we're needing a community, and it needs to be what it is, a broken, yet at the same time, a forgiven community. I hope you hear that. This is not a perfect community. There's no church that puts together a a site that says, wow, that's everything. We're broken people. The difference is not that we're just better people. No, it's because we're forgiven people. As forgiven people, we want to live better and we strive to live better. We now have an ability to live better, but we never forget we're a broken people. Being a forgiven people, though, we become a safe place for other broken people. We become a place that is transformational. We call that place the church. We call it in Scripture the kingdom of God on earth, the church, His bride. I like to think of it this way. I think of it as if all of us are, are like sand. Uh, we've been crushed to become sand. And, and, and God comes along and He says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transform you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you this ability that you've never had in your moral life. And I'm going to turn you into something different than sand. It's comprised of sand, but it's now a stone. It's not just a stone. It's a living stone. And oh, by the way, your Savior and Redeemer, He too is a living stone. I mean, He calls us what He says of Himself because we're part of His royal family. It's incredible. And in light of that, we are called priests. We called it last week. It's been held through history, the priesthood of all believers. It's something we believe in very much around here at Perimeter. We, we often refer to it in different language. We talk about it as every member of minister. But how important that we begin to realize who we are. We're stones, living stones. We're priests, every one of us. We may be disobedient priests. But we're priests, every one of us. Can't stop being priests. In our church, you've got a staff here that uh, uh, is designed to be equippers. We're here to, to help and give leadership and direction in a full-time capacity where, where you can't do that because of your other careers and so forth. And, and I keep reminding our team. I say, guys, look, we're just part of a team here, the, the greater perimeter team. And our job is to help give leadership, certainly, but we're, we're equipping saints to do the work of the ministry. We're all believers that are priests. So, priests and priestess, so we, we got to keep doing that. And so, I came back from the last study leave a year ago uh, during the early winter, and I came back and I said, okay, I want to I formalize some training that we need here to just keep us laser-focused on what we're all about. And I call it the big win. And nearly each month, I get up before the staff And I say, okay, guys, we're going to press a little further. We're going to see what we remember about this. Are you doing the things we're talking about? This is the big win, the big win, the big win, the big win. If you ask our staff, and I give you permission to ask any staff what the big win is, I give you permission, if they don't have the right answer, to contact me, all right? (laughs) Because this is important. The big win is making the bride of Christ as beautiful as she can be. And I tell them, if that's not what you're all about, making the bride of Christ, it doesn't have to be just in this, but how we impact the bride of Christ, we got to make her as beautiful as we can. There's always going to be more to be done, but we got to fight hard. We got to press hard. That's our win. We lose if we don't make her as beautiful as she can possibly, possibly become. It always begins by understanding who we are. We're living stones. We're priests so that we can do what he calls us to do. You're going to see that in Scripture. Ephesians, first three chapters, here's who you are. Last three chapters, here's what you do because of who you are. First half of Romans, you're going to see, this is who we are. Last end of, uh, at the end of, of, of Romans, last several chapters, here's what you do, starting in chapter 12. Here's what you do. Now, he's going to do the same thing in this text. He's defined us now as living stones or priests, priestesses, and now he's saying, here's what you do, number one, and we'll look at the second one next week or the next in the series. But the first thing he says, you offer sacrifices. So if you look in your bulletin, that's, that's point two, we offer sacrifices. Before I turn the corner into t- to, uh, talking about that, it's very brief and very simple. Uh, I want to give you a special treat. Uh, last week after the service, maybe on Tuesday or so, I get a call from a dear friend of mine in this church, many of you know uh, know him, Chuck McDowell. Chuck is a songwriter, singer, he's performing all over, and uh, I love going to his concerts, and, and um, uh, he said, Randy, I, I wrote a song uh, based on your message on Sunday. And he said, would you be interested in me sending you a, a copy of it where you can listen to it and the, the lyrics so you can read it and so forth? And I said, oh, I'd love you to and when he did, I went, wow. And then I called him back. And by the way, he is my pastor. Uh, we have opportunity to have an elder in our church. If you desire it, you get an elder to, to be a pastor over you. Well, he's the elder that's my pastor. So he calls me and, and, uh, and he says, I know you're a pastor, but I am too. He, he believes in we're all stones and, and priests. So he says, how can I pray for you? Can I pray, and he pray over the phone with me or whatever we're we talking? It's uh, just been a dear, dear pastor to me. And so... Um, uh, he he sent this song, and I said, "Oh my! Would you be willing to sing that for us?" And I think it'll be a great, helpful reminder of the great truths we've talked about. So, Chuck, if you'll come out and uh, help us out by letting us hear from you now, so this is Chuck McDowell. Welcome him. <laughs>
2: hot rain falls and the parched earth quakes. When lightning snaps and you're all alone cling to those among the stone When your secret hope is gone with the wind When you just want love But don't have a friend When you can't find fruit From seeds you've sown Reach out to those among The cornerstone You want to fly Just let Drop the treasures dragging you below Replace your blood Replace your bones Become a rock of corner cornerstone Give all that you have To the one who gave to you Stone help stones and the cornerstone is true. You are called to be here Do not wallow in the toil Peace abounds Dreams are never foiled You want to fly Just let go Drop the treasures dragging you Replace your blood Replace your bones Become the rock of the cornerstone You want to fly Just let go Drop the treasures dragging you below Replace your blood Place your bones, become a rock of the cornerstone. Become a rock of the cornerstone. Become a rock.
1: gracious. All right. Very good. I, I assume that's a delayed applause for the first part of my message, and now uh, obviously we love it. Uh, everybody loves it. Uh, I, I love one of the phrases that, uh, that's in the song, stones help stones, true or cornerstone is true, right? Uh, as you were writing the, the song and the lyrics come to your mind, you've, you've just been thinking about the, the text what was in your mind when you decided to write that?
2: Well, I was sitting over there and uh, (laughs) listening to you and I was thinking, that could be a cool song. (laughs) 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 I mean, I I like the imagery and uh, the juxtapose of uh, being in the body and how the body makes everything work together and than being outside the body and, and not
1: having that.
2: Yeah. And
1: yeah. Uh, it just, it uh, was, was,
2: was a very powerful teaching, Randy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, keep your seats, please. Don't, don't stand up. Uh, we've got a, a couple months ago, several months ago, I guess now, uh, Chuck called me and he'd been asking me for a while. He said, let's write a song together. Well, that's like asking me to be a professional basketball player, it's not going to happen. But he said, let's get together, we can write a song together, and it was a very intriguing uh, time together. We spent a few hours uh, and, and just talking about what would the song be and this, that, and the other and, and what would the lyrics be and he had a little plan for how we would kind of work through and come up with the, the lyrics and all and we came up with a, a song, right? And uh, it's going to be performed actually by Laura and team on the 6th of January, the last of this series and so uh, you're, you're going to hear another song that, that I 3% wrote and he 97% wrote. <laughs> But uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a treat I think for you then. This we've been uh, we've been praying for Chuck. I wish I mentioned this to other services. But you, you notice as you see on your, your prayer list uh, ongoing needs. Um, been battling cancer for a long time, a stage four cancer, and I uh, will have to say this, I I cannot imagine anybody looking before the Lord and just delighting in God's will as much as you hate going through cancer. He's been a He's been a model to me and to many of us here, I know. So uh, keep praying for Chuck as as he keeps that battle, all right? Thank you. Thank you. All right, point two is a very brief one. It's simple, but I think it's very memorable uh, because I am going to give you four different sacrifices that are in the New Testament. I'm just going to mention them, say a few comments about them, and move on. But I want you to remember the four sacrifices. You understand this, that since Christ has come, no more shedding of blood. That is forbidden now. Why would we shed blood when, when he has shed his blood? The shedding of blood was to point us to an event that's now past tense for us. No more shedding of blood. A lot of people think, okay, the priests were the Old Testament. Now there are no more priests. That's not true. We still have priests. Oh, well, sacrifices in the Old Testament no more sacrifices. Not true. We still have sacrifices. And I'll read a text for each one, and you'll see the word sacrifice as it refers to each of these four that are in the New Testament. So I'm going to begin with the first one, and I'm going to give in each of them a, uh, what I'm going to call a, uh, uh, a visual memory aid. Now I realize that when you use hands and motions and so forth, there's some of us here that won't feel comfortable doing that. Other people say, "Oh, okay, that's fine." I bet our kids and young folks they, they, they'd be fine, but it, it, you don't have to do the the, the the if you want to. Great, but you don't have to. But I want you to remember this way: when you wake up in the morning, I hope that you'll wake up saying, "I am a priest. I offer sacrifices." And Lord, today, I offer you these four. And you'll be able to remember all four, not because of the teaching, but because of the memory aid, all right? So, number one, we offer as a sacrifice our lives. And so I want to take the hand and put it to the heart. And that's the, that's the first memory aid, okay? I, 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 here's my heart. This represents my life. And so I said, this is how I offer a sacrifice. Here's how it says it in Romans 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy, and there's the word, sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. On each of the four, all I want to do is I want to tell you what the privilege is and what the responsibility is that goes with it. Each of these four sacrifices— we make it because there's a privilege given to us and with that privilege comes a responsibility. A little side note for parents, particularly of young kids. If you wanna raise the kids in the way they need to be raised in this regard, do never, don't ever give them all this responsibility and no privilege. Don't on the other hand give all this privilege but no responsibilities. That's not good for kids. And we're the children of God. And God says, that's not good for you either. So I'm going to give you a privilege. And with that privilege will come responsibility. So as we talk about offering the sacrifice of our lives, well, what is the privilege that we have for priests that goes with this? Well, here's the privilege. The privilege is called moral ability. Moral ability. If you don't understand moral ability, you need to hear this. Moral ability is something that is given only to living stones, only to priests. So I ask you this question. Do Most of you all know probably, and we, it's not in our name, we don't keep it secret, but, but we're Presbyterians. Well, if you hear Presbyterians, there's all kinds of there's, there's good ones, there's bad ones, okay? But, but they're, I mean, they're those that believe things we don't and so forth, so you can't just lump them all together. But one thing that most think about Presbyterians, they say, oh, they believe in the sovereignty of God. We do. Therefore, God has choice and He decrees what comes to pass. He does. He predestines. Well, He does. But you know what we believe because we think we believe that? We say, therefore, we don't have free will. God, it's all what God's sovereignty. He chooses and we does and and, and here we are, we're just kind of like puppets, and it it just happens, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's not true at all. It's not in Scripture, it's not what we believe, it's not at all. Here is what helps you understand this. Here is the difference. Yes, every person has free will. We all have free will. That means we're free to choose anything we want to choose. We can do what we want to do. We can say what we want to say. It doesn't, I mean, it's all free will. That's in our fallen condition. That's all we have is free will. In terms of what we do. But the day we become living stones, the day we're made priests, we're given a special, special privilege. We're given moral ability. That opens up now from not just having a a sin nature that makes us dead in our sin, but it gives us life. And now we truly have the freedom to do what is right morally and what's wrong, not just outwardly, but from the motive of the heart. That's the great difference. And God says, when I give you that great privilege, with it goes the responsibility of surrender it's surrender. Now, if I'm, going to, if I'm going to be able to surrender, it's because God has given me the ability to do that. That's why we praise Him, that we can sacrifice our lives. Let's go to number two. The second is our worship. Now, our hand is going to go from the heart raising it up. And you see that many raise their hands in worship, which is very appropriate and good. You don't have to. It's not something that says you must, and it's the right thing to do, but it is certainly an expression. And we often would use that in worship. The hand is up. So in your mind, you think about that. Okay, hand up. It goes from the heart, and it goes now from the chest. It goes up to the air, all right? And that's the memory aid, and that's referring to worship. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it reads like this. Through him then let us continually offer up a, there it is, sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. I love this text. I have used this text in my personal life so often. Uh, I'll ask you, do you ever feel like the feelings get drained of your faith. Your motivation is so low. You're so discouraged. You see what the hand of God, if he's in charge of all things, are things that we would never choose, nor delight in, nor want. And you find yourself saying, okay, I'm now supposed to give thanks in all things. I'm supposed to rejoice in all things. I'm sorry it isn't there, and I can't make it come. And a lot of people therefore choose and say, okay, I don't know this text. that says rejoice in all things. It cannot happen. This is where this text kicks in for me, and I realize it is the fruit of the lips that give praise to God. It's the fruit of the lips, and I find myself being able to say, "You know, Lord, this is not what I would choose. This is really hard." Oh, blah, blah 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 blah. Tell him what I feel, but I say, "You know, one thing I can do. I can rejoice through the fruit of my lips." I can give thanks with the fruit of my lips. And that's the beginning of obedience and watching what God does. And so it goes from the the hand here, I give you my life. That means, Lord, I give you my worship. Now, what's, the, what's the privilege? The privilege is access to God. You know, and according to the Psalms, those that are not His followers, the Lord doesn't hear. He doesn't hear their prayers. Why wouldn't He? Because... We've got a sin nature and sin can't come into the presence of God. But even though I still have sin and you have sin, we're forgiven for the sin. Doesn't mean we stop sinning at this point. That'll happen when we are now with him in glory. But until that time, we still have sin. But here's the great news. He has covered our sin with his righteousness. And so because it's covered, we can walk right into his presence and we can talk to him, we can praise him, we can worship him. That's, that's the gift he's given to us. And so the privilege, access to God, our responsibility, is to offer him the worship, even if it's just the praise of our lips to give thanks to him. Number three, our service. Now we're going to take our hand. It goes first to the, to the life, our heart. And then it goes in the air, which says our worship. And now I think of the hand extended, maybe downwardly a little bit. As if to say, I want to help you, I want to pull you up, you're, you're, you're down, you have, you have difficulties or challenges or things that, that you need help, and, and God has placed me as a priest now, I'm a living stone, and, and so through the power of the cornerstone, look, I want to be able to help you. Look at the very next verse in the book of Hebrews, uh, same chapter, verse 16 now, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And so I think, okay, God, now I guess the next way I can make a sacrifice to you is is maybe I can reach out and help. Well, well, what's the the privilege given to us? It's called spiritual gifts. Do you know that every priest, every priestess, has been given a spiritual gift. It's a God-given ability placed in the life of each believer, we presume to be believe that it's at spiritual birth that this happens, to some way enhance the kingdom of God. Now, They sometimes get confused with talent. A non-Christian will have a talent. And and I know this, I've got a spiritual gift that from my perspective and my opinion, I don't think it's nearly as talented as some non-believers that I am aware. And I go, wow, I don't think people would necessarily see what I'm doing and go, you're talented there. But it's amazing to me to see how God uses it. It's like, Wow, look what happened when I, look, I used this gift and look, and and that makes me constantly think this has got to be a gift. But whatever it is, you got one priest. And so what's the, what's the responsibility? Well, the responsibility is to discover and to develop and to start using the spiritual gifts. I've taught on it in series. You can go back and get last series that we've done on it. Uh, We've got classes here that teach people uh, uh, what your spiritual gift might be and how to look and find it, and what they are and so forth. But we encourage you, Christian, you're a priest, so find your gift for sure. Don't just go around and say, I'll do this, this, and this. Find where God has gifted you. doesn't mean it's the only thing you do, but it certainly is the primary attention you give in your service. So we've gone through three of them now. The first one is our life. The hand is where? The heart. All right. Then we go to our worship, the hand is up, remind us of that, and then we go to service, it's extended, and now we go to our resources, and so now we'll put our hand in our pocket, maybe our hip pocket, our purse, or wherever, because now it's our resources, and that's one way, it's not just money resources, but it is our resources. And so Philippians 4.18 puts it this way, but I have received everything in full, I have an abundance, I am amply supplied, this is Paul speaking, Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. He's been without money and need and so so forth. And he sent it to him through the church. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so you have the privilege of God providing our needs. If you go earlier in the same book of Philippians chapter 4, you'll see that God supplies all of our needs. There is is the, the privilege that we get. But then our responsibility is to meet kingdom needs. So hopefully those four help you remember. Just remember, starts here, life, right? It goes here, our worship It's extended. We start talking about our service and then our hand in our pocket or purse, and that's our resources, just to remind us. So in the morning, you know what we can do? We can wake up and say, God, today I want to offer sacrifices. I am a priest, and I'm going to offer sacrifices and it's going to be my pledge of intention that I'll offer you these four. Boom, 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 boom. You'll remember them now. Let's see if you can just say, God, that's my intention today. I've given a, a little summary in four statements to kind of take us to where we are, and then I'll conclude the message. Number one, we are stones united with many other stones, and as such, we comprise a spiritual house where we function as priests and priestesses. Number two, as priests and priestesses, we offer to God our lives, our worship, our service, and our resources. And we'll see in the next message, particularly this, number three, this spiritual house becomes a safe shelter for an abused society living without the security of unconditional love, encouragement, support, guidance, values, and truth. And lastly, we become living stones and we function as living stones only because Jesus was willing to be the cornerstone rejected and crucified. If it hadn't been for what he's done on the cross, we would never be living stones. So, seeker, my word to you is take heed of verses six and eight, the text that we've read. You know, in verse six, it says you'll not be disappointed. Doesn't mean you won't find any disappointment in life and what comes to you in life. But when all is said and done, as I said last week, you stand before your God, you're going to never be disappointed. Because without him becoming your cornerstone, him becoming the one that makes you into a living stone, he says in verse 8, we're appointed to doom. There's life and death at stake. And that's something worth just investigating. I hope you'll bring your friends on Christmas Eve because I'm going to help in the portion that I do. I'm going to help you and your friends understand. how, How do you? How do you pursue understanding and and come to the place that you would finally, literally become a follower, a living stone, a priest as we're talking about it? Oh, very important. See the cross, seeker. That's the ultimate answer. See what he's done. Believer, I'd close to you saying, think a lot about who you are. It will determine what you do you realize that most of us have it backwards? Most of us think, okay, God, I need to, I need to follow you. I love the, the video story t- this week because it, it's, it's the story of getting those two confused, thinking, okay, this is what I do. I'll make my sacrifices, and if I make my sacrifices, then I become a priest. That's not it. No, no, no. We focus on what we've become and what he's done for us. That's what gives us the motivation. So a lot of us are saying, you know what, I know I need to be thinking about, you know, giving my life, but I'm getting wrapped up in work and my family and all this stuff, and I don't know, I just, I don't think about it enough, and I need to get, I know I need to be better than I am, and oh, I know I'll come to worship, my mind drifts, and I'm not really into it, and I see other people, they seem to be, and I go, what's wrong with me? Oh yeah, I know that I need to give more and I don't. I kind of spend more money on recreation than I do on the things of God and I understand I'm not really, I don't even know what a spiritual gift is really. I'm, I'm a Christian but. And that's the way we live our life. And we think, I just got to do more. I got to do better. That's not the answer. It's going to find out what did he do for me? And that's why we come to this table. It's, it's not our sacrifices that make us better as priests. It's his sacrifice that makes us priests and understanding that sacrifice that makes us all the more obedient as priests. Where it's now not, okay, I got to and I'm willing. Now it's, you know, I get to and and I want to. That's where duty turns to delight. And that's where we want to be going in our spiritual formation. And I want to say to the seeker, as you are observing what we do here, This is not a waste of your time. And I think you'll see why as I explain this in the next moment. But Christian, I'll say to you, this is what we need right now. If I just described your struggle and you truly are a follower, this is what you want. And I hope to explain that right now. I'll start by asking you a question. The question would be this. I'll just ask this to the believing community. If you could have more of any one thing you have, what would you want? Now, if we were thinking very maturely from a biblical standpoint, you know what the answer would be? Maybe among some others it would be very equal, but I'd be saying grace. God, give me more grace. Some of our biblical thinkers here will say, whoa, 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 don't the Bible make it real clear that all grace abounds for you and me? And that the words of Scripture, and that, and that, what happens? So, yeah, all grace does abound. But understand this: that does not mean that all grace has been appropriated by you or by me. Meaning, there is more yet to be gained, available to us in full. But we have to appropriate that very thing. So, how does that happen? God has given us. Many of you have heard the term before: means of grace. The table is a means of grace. The preaching of the word is a means of grace. Prayer is a means of grace. God has given a certain means by which grace is to be appropriated in our lives. This is just one of them. As we come to any means of grace, there's going to be these two things that have to come together. Truth remembered, heart surrendered. That's an often statement that I use when I'm with the Lord. Say, Lord i got to have a, a heart that's surrendered, but it's got to be connected to a truth that's remembered. And that's what symbols are all about. They help us connect those two. That's why God gives us the table. That's why Jesus was so emphatic about making this table right before he dies and explaining it. Now, symbols require faith, and they, re, and they strengthen faith. That's to say this. If you're here and you have no faith in Jesus then a symbol would be very meaningless to you. This symbol would be. And in fact, I would say don't take it. There's a text that we'll use in 1 Corinthians 11, a little bit further down, but it says this. It says that eat and drink judgment to yourself. That's what we do if we take the table without faith. But for those who have faith, Boy, is it a blessing. Listen to Charles Hodge, one of the great, great uh, theologians in years past. He says, We cannot eat at the table of the Lord without being brought into contact with Him, either to our salvation or condemnation. If we come faultlessly without any desire after communion with Christ, we eat and drink judgment to ourselves. But if we come with a humble desire to obey in our divine master and seek His presence, We cannot fail to be welcomed and blessed. So you want to be blessed? I'm going to invite you to the table. This is for anybody who is a member of God's true church, anywhere, if you're under the authority of a church, as submitted to that authority appropriately, well, you come to the table. You are welcome to come. We're going to suggest that if you're your children and you've not yet come into the authority of the church in terms of a of a communing member, that you watch and you observe and you ask questions, and and I'm gonna tell you a little story that I think is gonna make it really, really clear. Let me read one text first, first Corinthians eleven, twenty-three through twenty-five. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, when he had given thanks, he broke in and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance. Keep that word in mind, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. So, this is a remembrance. I came up with a story years ago when I was trying to help our congregation as a younger congregation understand the table. I've used it, I don't know, a handful of times through the years. And so if it's repetitious to you, hopefully it awakens your heart even as it does mine as I retell it. I'd like for you to imagine imagine with me that you're an eight year old child, you have a, a two year old sibling, and your father has an untreatable terminal disease. You don't know when your dad's going to die, but you know it's inevitable that he's not going to live very long. You remember being told it was a a very emotional moment when your your dad came and explained what was ahead and and help you get prepared for the time that was coming. Your two-year-old sibling had no clue what was happening, but you did. It made plenty of sense. Maybe now as a Many years later, the, the memories have, have kind of become very vague between that day, which you do remember, and the time of his death. But there's one other thing that you very, very much remember. In fact, you can never forget it. It was soon, right before his death, that he, that he, he came to you and, and he, he kind of stumbled into the room, kind of barely able to walk in his condition, but he made his way in before you and he, he said, I've, I've got something very important I want to give to you. And at that point, he, he hands you a book, and you look at the book, and the book is the life of your dad. You had no idea there was a book written about him you 're so excited I, I got a book it 's going he says, "You know this book is going to tell you a lot about me, a lot of stories all true about my past and what I do and why and all I just but I think you 're going to find this over the years to be a delight. And it'll help you get to discover more and more about me even after I'm gone. And he says, I got a, I got a second thing for you, and that is I got a picture. It's a picture of, it's a picture of you and me and, and, and your sibling, and, and it's just the, the three of us together, and I'm, and I'm hugging you. Look at it. And you look down, and there is the best, clearest picture of the three of you together in the love of your Father. And then your dad says, here's what I'm going to ask you. As I'm gone, keep in mind, I'm still alive. I'm going to be in the heavenlies. And I'll be waiting for you eventually to join with me. But I just want you to just keep reading that book a little at a time. But routinely read until, you, until you've, you've read all about me. And, and then reread it again as you reread it. Maybe, maybe you'll just sense something totally even new and fresh about me because I talk in there a lot about my love for you and your sibling. And then you say, and what I'm going to ask you to do too is I'm going to ask you to take that picture and I want you to guard it and protect it very carefully. Don't let it get abused. But I'd like for you just to stare at that picture because it's been said and it's true that a picture says more than a thousand words and you'll see the love, you, you will see me, you'll, you'll remember me through the picture because I won't be here for you to remember me. It's going to have to be done through a picture now. So would you just do that on a regular basis? And you find yourself doing that. And then within a a few short years, your sibling comes to you and says, you know, you're so lucky because you remember dad. I don't remember him. I, I don't have any real conscious memory from two years of age. And you're... You say to your sibling, well, you know what? I got something I've been waiting to give to you to the right time, and here's a little book. It's about your dad and my dad. I want you to start reading it. You're going to learn, and we're going to talk about it. And I want to give you this picture, too. I want you to look at this picture, and we're going to stare at this picture, and we're going to do it together. And then as we do it together, we're going to be able to remember what all he's done for us and how much he loves us and who he really is. You know, I bet you'd find through the years you'd be saying this, and I I find that picture is so valuable to remind me that he's still alive and that I'm going to be with him one day. And it's going to be a great reminder to me. It's going to be a great reminder that that as I see who he is and understand his love, that it's going to make me want to be like him And in times of temptation. I'm going to find strength that I would not find otherwise. And so I'm, I'm going to use that as a great memory of who he is. And, and that's going to help me a lot. And you know what? I'll probably, I'll probably use that picture. I'll probably use that picture a lot. And also the book that he gave me. And I'll, I'll introduce other people to my dad. And that's how they'll learn about him. Folks, this is just an analogous story of what the table is. It's what Jesus did on that night in the upper room. He said, gentlemen, sit down. He said, we got to take this meal together. But this is a picture. I'm handing you a picture of me right now. And I want you, as oft as you will, stare at this picture. And you'll say, oh, I remember you, but you won't. But you'll remember me through this. You'll remember how much I love you. That's why we take the two elements. The, the bread is, is, is his, his body. And the drink representing his blood. And we say, look what he did for us. And so I'll bring you to the table by leaving you with this before we pray. It's just my recommendation. Nothing in Scripture says here's the order. But I'm going to encourage you to do these three things. First of all, recall the cross. That's what I do. I just recall the cross. After I've recalled the cross, I just like to think this morning, I tell you, it hit me. I'm just sitting there and I just said, I I just saw the Lord being crucified and thought, what if he were to look over at me and say, Randy, this is for you. I would do this just for you. Wow. And then, as you recall the cross, relive the anguish. And think about the pain and how hard it really was. It's not just some little, quick little, let's get it over with, no big deal. This was a this was anguish of all type. And, and, and let it, it maybe emotionally it might hit you. It didn't hit me last night. Emotionally it hit me much this morning in the first service. I never know. And then, as you take the last element, I'm going to encourage you to just once again recommit your vows. You're really going from your mind to your emotion to your will. Don't look for emotion. If it comes, accept it. But come to the will. That's what this table's all about. I'm going to invite you to the table now. Let's pray together as the table's prepared. Father in heaven, we come to you now. We're going to ask you if you would to. Forgive us of any sin that would hinder us from coming to you. And we're going to ask you, would you please prepare our hearts to see what incredible love that you have for us. May we stare at this picture, and may we see a love that's going to cause us to want to make sacrifices beyond what we've ever made before. And we thank you for the moment. Prepare us now, we ask in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.